welcome and thank you for listening to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast in conjunction with the ABA Task Force. I'm your host, Ms. J, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Let's dig in and do life together with behavior analysis. Welcome, 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 and thank you for tuning in to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. I am so excited about the guest that I have on today. Her story is absolutely amazing. I don't know how she's done half of the things that she's done, but she's, we're going to talk about it. She's going to give us some insight today, and I'm really excited about this. So, Ms. Fitz, if you don't mind telling us who you are, and let's get started with your story. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I love your big, beautiful, pearly whites. You have the thank best you. smile on the planet. So <laughs> that's going to be nice to look out for a while. So yeah, so Fitz Kohler of fitsness.com. I'm a, I do a variety of things that allow me to laser focus on one specific thing, which is helping people live better and longer by making fitness understandable, attainable, and fun. And so um, I've spent you know, decades of my life since I was 14 working in the fitness industry. And I, I, I do corporate speaking presentations. So I've worked for tons of Fortune 500 companies like Oakley, Disney, Tropicana, Office Depot, either speaks as a speaker or a spokesperson. And um, I'm a professional race announcer, which is a blast. So I host the start and finish lines of mega running events, um, Los Angeles marathon, Philadelphia, Buffalo, Big Sur marathons, the Wonder Woman run series and Batman and Gasparilla now. And so, um, I get to be the ringleader of the greatest and largest sport on earth. It's the only sport where, you know, 30 to 50,000 people can compete on the same course on the same day. So I enjoyed that. I own a before school walking running program called the Morning Mile. And I have over 400 schools around the world allowing their kids to get moving in the morning. And uh, I also am an author. So I have a brand new yes. book out called My Noisy Cancer Comeback, Running at the Mouth While Running for My Life. And yeah, I just beat up on breast cancer. And uh, which is I'm amazing. grateful for it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so happy to be alive. I mean, I used to be happy to be alive, but... Every day really is a great gift. Right, right. I can't, I can't imagine. I really can't. But I do want you to tell your story. So how did you, let's start with before the cancer diagnosis. Like what were you, you were moving, you were shaking, you were doing all of these wonderful things. And then it seems like the bottom dropped out. So. Uh, well. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my career has me traveling most weekends of the year. So Mm -hmm. bouncing all over the United States and, um, beyond having this killer career. I also have these two incredible teenagers, uh, Ginger and Parker, where I, you know, most of my work has been done on the weekend. So I get to come home and be full-time mommy making breakfast, packing lunches. They're teenagers, but I'm still pouring on all the mommy love. And then um, I was also an athlete. So I was always fit enough to pop into a half marathon whenever I wanted, pump out 50 push-ups whenever I wanted. You know, I was just a super fit girl. Never perfect, but I did walk the walk and did almost everything right. So that's where I was. Um, Fortunately, I've always been a huge proponent of annual and self-exams. And so I've Mm -hmm. been preaching that 
for, uh, you know, as long as I've been teaching fitness. And so December of 2018, I went in and had my annual mammogram Mm -hmm. and I walked out with a clean bill of health, posted on Instagram. Hey guys, go get your stuff squeezed. Mine look great. Hope yours do too. And then less than seven weeks later, I was standing naked in a hotel bathroom, just got out of the shower and I had an itch. So I rubbed my under boob and I, mm-hmm. I felt it. It was felt like a bean. And oh, uh, I went, oh no, I have breast cancer. It was one of those things where I didn't really right. need the diagnosis. I mean, of course you, you just do, knew, but I knew, I knew. And I'm the ultimate optimist, but I knew. So I immediately uh, picked up the phone and called my doctor. And, and that's where a lot of people fail to save mm-hmm. their own life is they put their head in the sand. You know, I didn't call my mom and cry. I didn't Google it. I just picked up the phone and made the appointment. Right. So within a few days, I saw the first doctor. A few days later, I had the mammogram ultrasound biopsy. A few days later, I got a diagnosis. About a week and a half later, I started chemo. And my, my life was turned on spin cycle. It was mm-hmm. absolute chaos. So when you, you felt that lump, what initially did you, I mean, I know you said you just immediately called your doctor, but did you have any, um, like any feelings that were just like, oh my gosh, you know, or any of those (laughs) kind of, you know, those feelings that you would think having that type of discovery would, would kind of elicit out of you? Um, you know, I did. So I knew right away what it was. I wasn't in denial. However, I'm really good at compartmentalizing things. And my mm-hmm. philosophy is always, you know, two things, control what you can. Right. And mm-hmm. at the moment, I, I pr- was pretty sure I had breast cancer, but I had no um, official diagnosis. Right. And so what I decided was I'm not going to cry over milk that hasn't spilt yet. I don't have an official diagnosis. Mm. I could be wrong. So I'm just going to wait until... I get an official diagnosis and and I actually talk about this in my book, you know, not panicked. I was able mm-hmm. to run my race, hang out with my friends, be leisurely by the pool and really just put it in the back of my mind. I didn't even tell my husband or children about the lump. Oh, and wow. so, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I say I'm good at compartmentalizing, boy, am oh, I yeah, ever so. Good. I found the lump on a... <laughs> Found the lump on a Thursday, saw my gyno on a Monday, and then it was that, uh, three days later, the next Thursday, where I went in, they did the mammogram, and I wasn't panicked. I just was like, cool as a cucumber. And then I went into the ultrasound, and as the tech was putting her little thing over my mm-hmm. breast, I could see the tumor. But I thought, you know what? Maybe it's a cyst. Maybe it could right. be other things, and I'm just not, I'm ignorant because I'm not a doctor or a radiologist. And so then the radiologist came in. She was a little bit jumpy which was a little disconcerting. And, mm-hmm. and this is what, this is when panic struck. She said, she goes, yeah, this, um, this tumor like uh, thing looks suspicious. She said, but there's, you have three hard swollen lymph nodes. I'm really concerned about. And mm. sadly I know too much. And that's when I just lost it. I just lost the, t- the tears came out. I just was sobbing. And I, and at that point I went from not panicking to, I am definitely going to die. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think the first, the second chapter of my book is called, I am definitely dying. And, um, you know, spreading to the lymph nodes within seven weeks, that's right. really fast. I had a terribly aggressive type of breast cancer. And what all I could imagine was, my early death. If I die of cancer, it just makes the perfect tragic tale. I have this, I mean, nothing about my life is perfect, but I have this amazing family. I have this incredible career in health and fitness. I'm 
you know, I'm the beacon of health and happiness. Right, I'm the girl right. who does almost everything right. I'm definitely going to die because this just makes, you know, the perfect lifetime movie. So um, it was really hard. Uh, I, it was just really hard. It was, it's hard to describe the amount of stress I was under. Cancer is terrifying. Right. I can't. Like I said, I can't imagine. That's why I'm I'm glad that we're talking because yeah. I think that you give, you know, not only a a real and true kind of recount of what happened and and a, a story to it, but you kind of help others to walk through their own cancer journey. So one thing that I noticed that you said, you know, is that um, when the side effects of your treatment kicked in. Um, each day brought a new what the hell moment. So yeah. when you were going through your treatment, what was your what the hell moments? Well, uh, so it's interesting when you start chemo, when you have cancer, you know, you expect certain things that you may feel tired from chemo. You may feel sick. You may mm -hmm. be bald. Not everybody has all those things, but I definitely did. Those were the expectations. But then there's all this stuff that absolutely zero people tell you. Nobody warns you. Um, I've watched family members die in front of me of cancer for months at a time. And I didn't know any of this stuff was going on. So, mm. you know, um, one of my very first and, and within the book, when I reference it, I think it's all I end up thinking it's all very funny. That's how I ended up writing the book, because I thought this is so bizarre. It's hilarious. So I have to tell people this. They will get a good laugh. But I lost my hair and I lost my hair in dramatic fairly dramatic fashion on a stage in Los Angeles. Oh. Um, but then, yeah, yeah. But you don't just lose your head hair. And people tell you, oh, you lose your arm hair, your leg hair, your armpits. You don't have to shave. Okay, great. Right. And so I'm at a race. Uh, I, go, I go to California. I basically lose half of the hair on my head. I go home and shave it. I, and then the next weekend, I have to be back in California for another race. And I live in Florida. So I go back and I am sick as a dog. But what I had decided early on is even though people knew I had cancer, I wasn't going to tell anybody if I were sick. Again, my, mm -hmm. I'm a service provider. So beacon of health and happiness was a choice I chose to make. And so a girlfriend of mine who I met the year prior, she was running this race post breast cancer treatment. She came over to see me. And she said, hey, how you doing? And I just didn't want to tell her what was really going on. I didn't want to say, oh, my God, I'm so sick, blah, blah, blah. So what right. I said is, oh, my allergies are kicking in. And since chemo, my nose had been running and running and running. Mm -hmm. And um, or shortly after chemo started, I should say. And she goes, uh, you don't have allergies. And I said, yes, I do. And all over, I have a little table and my stage is covered with tissues. Mm -hmm. I go, no, really, my, my nose is running. My allergies are acting up. She goes, you don't have allergies. You don't have any nostril hair. And I looked at her. I went, what? what? She goes, yeah. you don't have any nostril hair. And holy crap, she was right. That was a what the hell moment. And it's funny because my nose didn't just run like you had a cold. My nose, it was splish, splash. These big oh, raindrops goodness. would fall out of my nose and it was terrible. And again, I work on stages and my nose is Boom, boom. I felt like all the brain fluid was coming out. It was oh, no. insane. So that was weird. And my nose still runs extra. I'm still wishing my nose hair would grow in faster. My eyes change colors. Um, mm. There was, yeah, I mean, nobody told me that would happen. My vision yeah. changed. My, um, I couldn't open jars. You know, you become weak, not mm -hmm. just tired, but I, I, I couldn't open basic little things. Even like if a Ziploc bag was held together tightly, I'd have to go running across my house saying, would you open this for me? So uh, it was just crazy. 
constant crazy. Every day I would wake up and I think, oh my God, that's just, that can't be happening. And it was. Wow. So outside of the chemo and, and the different treatments that you had to to take, I want to know about your, what made you so resilient? Like you wrote this, this amazing book and you're chronicling kind of your everyday journey with cancer, being a fitness coach. I mean, I can imagine, you know, it's like, I'm supposed to be this pillar of health, yeah. but yet I have this thing that's attacking my body that I can't do, you know, I guess essentially do anything about, um, aside from what the doctors prescribed for you to do. What gave you that resilience, that, that push? Um, so I think it's a, a lifetime of learning how to be mentally strong and make choices, very deliberate choices. You know, I, I learned early on, I couldn't control everything. You know, I was, I was a kid in high school who got cut from a lot of teams. You know, I had a dad who was a, a, pres- a prescription drug addict. You know, there was things that I just couldn't control. And so I had to find a way to be happy anyways. As well, I'm a joy addict. I choose joy whenever Mm -hmm. possible. You know, some people actually like uh, to worry. They like to fret. It's enjoyable to them. And um, I'm not that person. You know, there's always someone on social media saying, oh my God, I sprained my ankle. Pray for me. And I think, really? (laughs) You're eating up prayers on your ankle? Like get a grip, you know? So I just choose that for myself. So um, I... I never felt like uh, I, cancer came to get me. You know, some people take it personally, and I didn't. I just had a rogue cell, and there was no why me moment, but I had to make good choices. Uh, many years ago, I, I stumbled across a little girl in a snow white dress mm-hmm. and a bald head, and I just thought, gosh, what she mu- must be going through. You know, there's nothing right. in my life that's more difficult than being a little kid with cancer or having a little kid with cancer. And so from that moment on, I decided never to spend, never to waste my good energy on silly things, trivial things like, you mm-hmm. know, the milk spilling or, you know, a fender bender or waiting in a long line. And I just decided to choose to be happy. And so my mantra used to always be, it's not cancer. And then all of a sudden it was cancer. And, right. you know, if I would have complained, nobody would have uh, nobody would have uh, second guessed it if I would no. have. If I would have taken a year off, nobody, nobody would have blamed would have, you. Um, no, but I would have blamed me. You know, I had earned a really wonderful life. I had these great kids, and I wasn't going to miss out on the, any of their special sports or school activities or time with them. I built this incredible career, and I earned my rightful spot on these stages that were coveted. And I just thought, no, I'm not giving that up because if say the Los Angeles marathon was happening and I was just sitting at home being sick, I would cry all weekend. I would just cry. So I decided I'm going to make it happen. And of course, when I decided that I had no idea how bad things would get, but because I made that good decision up front, I was able to go do such extraordinary things. I was able to have more adventure as a deathly ill sick person than I was than most people do with healthy bodies and their you know normal career so yeah I making good choices goes a long way sometimes you can will yourself to do things and I willed myself onto dozens and dozens of airplanes and you know we had to do we had to go through some take some tricky measures so I would land in California or 
New York, for example, Mm -hmm. get off the plane. Someone would pick me up and take me straight to somewhere to go get IV fluids. Or we would have nurses show up to my hotel rooms with IV fluids. So I'd wake up, I'd announce a race, I'd go straight back. They'd, you know, pump me full of saline and uh, an anti-nausea drug. And then I'd get back out and do it again. So um, it, it was a team effort. There definitely were a lot of people pitching in to keep me upright. So that's glad awesome. I did it that way. That, no, that's awesome. I mean, I can't um, think of, you know, just coordinating all those people and making sure that, you know, this person's here where you need them to be at this time. And then you yep. have to kind of get the the oomph to go out and do the part that you need to play but then come back and still have those other players in the background waiting for you to make sure that you're still able to do what you need to do. Yeah, it was, um, it was absolutely chaotic. And, you know, these poor race directors who are really event producers, they're sporting people. Now they're in charge of, you know, providing medical care to one of their employees. Um, But one of the really wonderful things about my experience is, you know, sometimes when people hit a crossroads, they decide, oh, you know, I've been going down the wrong path. I need to change gears. And what happened when I was diagnosed and things hit the fan is I became more resolved that I was on the right path. You know, I Mm -hmm. knew that I had chosen the proper, the perfect profession for me. And I was surrounded myself with the perfect people because nothing could keep me from these people. So it's interesting, you know, now really healthy people are hiding in their home to avoid getting a virus. I was officially the most immunocompromised person in the world. I was beaten down. I mean, my blood counts were terrible. Mm -hmm. I was gray. I was bald. I was all of those things, but I never missed a flight. I never missed an event. I never missed an opportunity to stand at a finish line and hug thousands of sweaty Jeremy strangers. You know, my life is better with people, with hugs, with smiles. Right. And uh, yeah, I I was, I did risk it all because I love what I do. And so I hope everybody, I hope everybody chooses so wisely. And, you know, there's a lot of people facing cancer, MS, Mm -hmm. you know, ALS. There's a lot of things going on miserable, difficult challenges. And I think it's important that everybody keeps perspective that someone always has it worse. No matter what you have right now, mm-hmm. you know, some people are just dropping dead of aneurysms, right? That's right. worse. They don't, they don't have a chance. So perspective, having passion in your life. So whether you love animals or music or art or soccer, whatever it is, if you can't play soccer, watch it on TV. If you can't have your animals in the hospital with you, watch them on the, on YouTube, you know, right. there's always a way to include your passions And then last but not least, you know, choosing to be positive. You know, I found early on, you don't get any extra points for being the saddest girl in the room. You know, nobody wanted to see me in the corner with a sad face saying, boo, I have cancer. Now, mind you, I cried my eyes out almost every day. I would sit in my car alone and sob. I would sit in my bathroom alone and just sob. I was shaking. It was terrifying and stressful and horrible. But I chose to... Um, take the opportunities to be happy when I could. And, you know, I truly believe all of that combined really um, aided in my cure for sure. That's amazing. That's, that's amazing. Like, I don't know that I would be able to be so, um, I guess maybe the word isn't necessarily positive, but I don't know if I would have been able to have that, that gumption to be as positive as you were able to be throughout your your journey. 
So with being a fitness coach, for those that are say they're sitting on the fence right now, they they heard your story about cancer and how you're positive and how it aided in your healing. What kinds of things or behaviors do you think people should start to engage in as a fitness coach that will improve their lives? Well, it's, it's a really good question. You know, I think the moral of the story when people are looking at me and hearing my story is that you need to prepare your body to do battle today because you don't know when the injury or illness is going to strike. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting. My first six rounds of chemo are considered the most toxic type of chemo they give anyone at any time. So they threw the hammer at me and Mm. I felt every ounce of it. And at six weeks in, and, and I'll backtrack by saying I was hospitalized once and I had blood transfusion. I was, I was just so sick. It never ended. But, um, I, my oncologist, I went in for round number six and I was beaten down. I, mm-hmm. I was just so beaten down. He said, Fitz, you've done really great. You only have one more round. And I said, no, I haven't done great. You know, my, my fingernails have ripped off. My eyelashes are gone. Every part of me is sick or destroyed in some way. He goes, no, you really did great. I said, why do you keep saying this? And he goes, right. Fitz, we gave you the, the meanest drugs we have. And he hadn't, he didn't tell me that prior. He said, mm-hmm. we gave you the most toxic combination of drugs we give anybody. He said, And if you weren't as healthy and strong when you came into this, you would have not just been hospitalized for a night. You would have been hospitalized for a month. Mm. You would have had a feeding tube. He said you would have been like, uh, you would have been very, very ill, even more so. You would have been hospital bound. He said, and you weren't hospital bound for more than a night and you traveled the country. Your health, your fitness mattered. And a lot of people die because of these drugs because they're sickly and weak when they start if you've got diabetes or heart disease or you're overweight and so the moral of the story is you know you never know when you're going to get hit by a bus or diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. and if you're you know fit and strong going into any of those things you're far more likely to rebound recover and um, recuperate sooner rather Mm -hmm. than later your health actually matters and you know right now you know, with the COVID stuff, people were like, oh, well, I'm high risk. Okay, well, you're 32. Why the hell are you high risk? You know, right, unless right, right. unless you have been genet- di- um, diagnosed with something unavoidable, you know, why are you overweight? Why do you smoke? Why have you screwed up your heart with your bad eating habits? So get yourself out of the high risk category. The term high risk and comorbidities, mm-hmm. those terms have existed forever. It's it, right. People are finally realizing it now, but- you know, you're far more likely to die young from obesity than COVID. So, you know, your health matters. Take it seriously. Watch what you put in your mouth. Move your body. If you need free resources, come to me at fitness.com. That's F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S.com. I have a, a trillions of free research, free resources for you. No diets, pills, powders, snake oils, supplements at all. Just, you know, exact formula for weight loss, some solid exercises and good advice and you know, you can be resilient too. That's yeah, that's awesome. So how would I get started besides going to fitness, fitness.com and that's F-I-T-Z-ness.com. I don't want to yeah. say it wrong. <laughs> no, you did it right. Good job. <laughs> how, how could we even get started? I mean, it's, you know, you're fed these images and you're fed, you know, these, these, um, societal, um, messages every day, you know, to eat the McDonald's, eat the pizza, eat the, you know, 
this, eat that. And then, yeah. you know, you have on one end, you have the, the, um, the models and you have these guys with these buff bodies and, you know, all of these great things. And then on the other side, the other message that you're getting is, eh, your fitness is not really that important. So how do you even get started as just a regular schmegular person sitting on their couch? Well, I do believe that everybody would want to be healthy, just like everybody would want to win the lottery. I would, I would think if people were to choose, you know, healthy body for life, they would choose it. Now, uh, now the reality is almost none of us have a Sports Illustrated swimsuit photo shoot coming up, right? right. <laughs> so our, our, our intentions rarely have to be prepare our bikini body for our work, you know? Um, so it's less about looking hot in a thong and it's more about living long and living well and mm, you never good. have to be perfect but you know it is a bummer that so many people in my industry have sold out my my the fitness industry is full of snake oil thieves and mm-hmm. liar liars they're there just to get your money they don't have um proper education or a great credentials you know you're dealing with some bodybuilder guy who joined who started personal training at the gym now he's hawking pills and shakes you know what yeah. if there was a pill and a shake that made you look great Oprah Winfrey would have it you know the right. most <laughs> wealthy woman in the world the only thing she doesn't have is that fit body and that's because a magic pill doesn't exist so how do you get right. started you know if you come to my site again I corporations pay my bills so I never charge consumers so there's an article on the front page it's called the exact formula for weight loss It simply just teaches you how to eat the right amount of the right food for the size you want to be. No restrictions. I don't tell you, you can't have anything white or you can't have sugar or you can't have meat or you can't have alcohol. It allows you to have moderation Mm -hmm. within a particular caloric budget. You know, someone says 1200 calories for everybody. That's ridiculous because if the rock, you know, ate only 1200 calories, he would, he would go and kill someone. He'd be so cranky. And then some people say, (laughs) 2000 calories a day. And if I ate 2000 calories a day, I would be 200 pounds, which is also, um, absurd. So, you know, there's a specific, uh, formula for that. So exact Mm -hmm. formula for weight loss and then exercise. You don't have to be a marathon runner. You don't have to be a bodybuilder, but you know, the four pillars of fitness are strength training, Mm -hmm. endurance training, flexibility, and balance. And if you do any combination of those things, in a way that makes you huff and puff, grunt, wince, um, you know, wobble while you do balance training. You're just always pushing the envelope a little bit. Eventually you will become the fit person you've been hoping to be. It really isn't that complicated. The other two things you need to do are get good sleep. So turn off your computer, turn off your cell phone, turn off the notifications and actually close your eyes at a reasonable hour and then remove the cranky people from your life. Because, Mm. you know, if you have the stress of a, I don't know if it's a jerky spouse, a jerky boss, a jerky neighbor, you know, you got to remove those people so you can have peace in your heart and then focus on things that bring you joy. So what is the biggest lesson I think that you, you've learned during your, your journey? Uh, The biggest lesson is, um, you know, quality of life is a choice. Mm. Quality of life is an absolute choice from beginning to end. And I tell you what, if I was very fortunate right up early on, my doctor said, Hey, we believe we're going to be able to cure you. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a path. You're not going anywhere. However, 
if I had a losing battle and I wasn't going to be able to survive breast cancer, I believe that I would have chosen uh, or controlled the things I could towards the end. You know, I had imagined already that, you know, if I were to be dying, I would want to do it at home, surrounded by my family. I would want my favorite songs playing. I knew, you know, I wouldn't want my funeral to be a super sad day. I'd want my favorite music played there. I'd want people to go exercise before they came to my funeral. You know, there's things that I had decided mm-hmm. um, matter to me. And so quality of life is a choice. If you wake up every morning and you're miserable, that's your fault. You know, if you're surrounded by jerks, that's your fault. If you're mm-hmm. overweight, that's your fault. And when you finally own all of your all of your failures, then you can start to truly own all of your successes. And that's, you know, that's pretty spectacular. So is it, it mainly sounds like it's a mindset kind of thing that you have to conquer. It's a a shifting in the way you're thinking about life or think about your own life rather. And I mean, am I on, am I on base? Yeah, you are. It's mindset and it's behavior too. You know, I don't right. just think like a healthy person. I go out and I exercise, right. and, you know, <laughs> and I go to sleep and, you know, I walk the walk and, and this is one of those things. So, you know, when people, um, buy my book at fitness.com, I autograph them all, but I have this little gift with purchase. It's a sticker and it says, I can do hard things. And, you know, what I found myself is as I started going through the scary stuff and basically everything involved in cancer treatment is scary. Scans are scary. Needle poke surgery. It's mm-hmm. all scary. I was reminding myself, I found myself talking to myself internally saying I can do hard things, you know, coaxing myself along, reminding myself that I had built a great business, raised tremendous children. I used to be a kickboxer for crying out loud. I, oh, wow. I fought in a ring in front of thousands of people on multiple occasions. And, you know, there I was terrified of the MRI. So you know, sometimes you got to coach yourself up too. So this little, I can do hard things sticker, Mm -hmm. it reminds me, you know, all the, uh, there's other cancer patients now utilizing my book as kind of a handbook for their, um, you know, their journey. And, you know, they put the sticker on their phone or on their computer or somewhere they can see it. And it's helping them, um, stay strong when, when they don't feel so strong. Cause life's hard sometimes. So where did the, the, I guess, concept really, I mean, I know it came from, because I'm looking, you know, I've read your book, Um, but where did the concept of I can do hard things really come from? It just literally came from inside my head. I didn't really, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but Mm -hmm. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who, I hate to say I'm fearless, but I live kind of fearlessly. I'll jump into anything, do anything. I'm never afraid to stand on the stage, et cetera. But I was terrified of um, cancer, of surgery. I'm a, I'm a medical wimp. Mm-hmm. And, and I did. I just had to coax myself into putting one foot in front of the, another. And it was just just telling myself inside. And I wasn't saying it out loud, but I just kept saying, you can do this. You can do this. You can do hard things. And, and the, you know, the reality of cancer is if you want to survive, you have to do all of those scary things. You don't get a pass on chemo because you're afraid of it. You don't get a pass on surgery because you're afraid of it. You have to just suck it up and put on your big girl panties and go yeah. get it done. So, um, so yeah, that's it. It just was something I was telling myself and it, it worked. Right, right. I mean, I could tell it worked. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> 
So when you're doing these races and, and you were doing, you know, all of the different tasks that you had to do, well, you technically didn't have to do them, right. you know, but when you were doing all of these tasks and these races and things of that nature, what were you surprised at all at any of the, the reactions that you got from other people or were there times where their attention was just too much? Uh, never too much. You know, I was, I was very fortunate. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm the t- caretaker of all of these people. You know, I mm-hmm. consider them my athletes and my job is to make sure everybody feels welcome and wanted and informed and excited and congratulated. And uh, it was interesting. You know, my runners really came out for me. You know, many of them brought gifts, thoughtful blankets and so forth. But many of them showed up with practical things kind of to mother or father me while I was away. You know, if it was raining, they showed up with raincoats or umbrellas. They brought me snacks. They brought me drinks. They were just constantly making sure that I was okay, knowing that I was out of town. Maybe Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have all the necessities. My race directors were extraordinary. I never had to worry about any of them telling me they didn't want me because I was bald or whatever. They just had faith that I would perform. Um, I would say that, you know, I, I never wore a wig and, um, Mm -hmm. I never wore a hat to hide my head. On occasion, I would wear a hat because it was freezing outside. Right, right. Um, But on occasion, if that were the case, when I took off my hat on, on a cold day, the runners who didn't know who I was, when they thought, oh my gosh, she's bald. <gasps> oh my gosh, she has cancer. You could yeah. see kind of the shock and the horror. And, you know, at that point, quite often, I'd give a little 60-second spiel and say, hey, listen, blah, 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 clean mammogram, six weeks later, found a lump, I have breast yeah. cancer. I'm going to be fine, but you got to do your annual exam, squeeze your stuff. But um, yeah. And then the other thing that uh, I realized, and people love to give Americans a hard time and that people love to trash Americans, right? Yeah. Americans <laughs> love to trash Americans. I traveled this country from corner to corner, ball, mm-hmm. literally every corner of the country. And I was treated so kindly by so many strangers, you know, that's awesome. Oh my gosh. The amount of people who carried my bags or just would say, Hey, I'm rooting for you. I mean, everyone was kind and it was every type of person there is, you know, it just, um, our, our people are good, decent, uh, caring human beings who would sacrifice for each other. And of course we have a long history of that, but uh, I don't think it's okay to pick on Americans. I think we're pretty damn wonderful. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how was this journey for your husband and your kids? I mean, I'm pretty sure that, you know, it was jarring, you know, kind of hearing for the first time that mom or my wife has cancer, but how was the the journey for them? Well, I can tell you that my husband was full force. He's a guy who is a, he's a, just a workhorse. He, he does the things that need to be done no matter what the situation is. And so, um, as soon as I told him, cause I, I didn't tell him I found the lump until after that mammogram and ultrasound, I was like, Oh, by the way, I found a lump last week and apparently it's probably cancer. So, uh, he was full force. He took me mm-hmm. to every appointment. He, you know, he, he brought me all the, all the cold rags for my sick head and he, walked me across parking lots when I was a fall risk, you know, he, he did everything and that was great. And, and he said, he never thought I was going to die. Cause I thought maybe he might've been thinking right, he'd be a right. widower soon, but he, he said he had confidence that I'd be okay. 
Uh, and it was hard on him because he had to basically function as a single father because I right. couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Uh, my kids, you know, uh, my son took it peacefully yet. Apparently he thought that I was definitely going to die too. My daughter, um, she, she, she sobbed. It was really hard on her. And, mm-hmm. um, but then, you know, kids are resilient, right? Yes, kids, they are. <laughs> they had their own lives, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I encourage them to continue taking part in all their activities. I never took them to a scary medical appointment. The only thing they ever, uh, I ever invited them to was my bell ringing and my final chemo day. Just they, they never saw me get stuck with the needle once and everybody gets to choose, but I personally think it's not a good idea to bring a child into a hospital to watch mommy get poked. I just right, don't, right. I, for some reason it, it didn't sit well with me. So you know, uh, quickly the sadness over my, me losing my hair turned into hilarious jokes over mommy's bald head. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they uh, milked it. And Jean, my daughter, gosh, some of her friends would say things like, oh, blah, 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 because your mom's dying. And Ginger, um, she didn't cry. She just was like, no, she's not. And you're dumb. And so, yeah, that's you know, really mean. Yeah, but they're ki- the other kids are just kids too. You know, kids right, are inherently right, right. goofy and say the wrong things. And um, yeah, so I sh- I showed up at a lot of events as the bald mom, but uh, my kids are solid. You know, they were proud of me, and you know, we we all got through it, and and I really appreciated them continuing to live their life to the fullest as much as possible. Good. That's that's really good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Because, you know, you think of a kiddo kind of face with something big like, you know, the cancer, you know, of their parent, yeah. you know, it's, I can imagine just, you know, the fear, the anger, the, yep. you know, all these feelings of uncertainty that they could possibly go through. So what were some things that you guys did as a family to kind of keep things together? Well, I tried to uh, be normal as much as possible, which was hard sometimes. But, you know, Parker's birthday, we went to the bowling alley and, you know, I just chose to uh, figure it out. You know, there's if you can imagine with your stomach exploding both ends, sometimes it's not a fun time to go out. But, yeah, we just chose to squeeze in family time when we Mm -hmm. could movies and you know, sometimes it was just cuddling on the couch. Right. Um, yeah, I tried to always say, at least if I was stuck in bed, it was one of those, come in and hang out with mommy for a few minutes and we'd have some cuddle time and they'd tell me about their day. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it was it was weird. It was weird. You just kind of do your best, right? Right, right. So I'm loving the fact that, you know, not only were you resilient in your fight and in your journey, that your family was too, like they found a way to, or you guys together found a way to not let cancer be the a death sentence. Yeah, you know it's interesting. One of my girlfriends, very uh, close girlfriend, about a year and a half prior to my diagnosis, she died of pancreatic cancer, and oh, wow. um, she is the mother of their friends. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe a parent can die, a young parent, until you see it happen. So as I was explaining my diagnosis to my kids, I had to tell them, you know, all cancers are not created equal. You know, breast cancer is like way more awesome than pancreatic cancer. You know, no cancer is a fun time, but 
I'm going to be fine. I had to work really hard to try to convince them that they're not going to likely, they're not likely to see the same thing happen as they watch their friends go through. Um, and, and the reality is, is that cancer's everywhere. Cancer is everywhere. When, you know, when I'm at a race and I say, Hey, has anyone here been affected by cancer personally, or, you know, some friend or family, a hundred percent of those hands go up. We know what it's like to lose someone. And that's really the thing is the second you hear someone has cancer, you think, oh my God, I don't want them to die. And right. so, um, you know, there's a really direct correlation between cancer and death. However, you know, the good news is most cancer cases are survivable now. Right, right. Um, that's, a, that's a broad statement. But if you're going to go percentages, more people survive their cancer now than they then, mm-hmm. um, do not. So uh, it's, you really got to hone your message before you tell your children. And, right, right. Um, I, I, even though I thought I did a really good job, my son apparently still was convinced that I was going to die. And what a horrible thing for him yeah. to have to worry about. But it was the reality of our situation. So we faced it. Right. Right. So for you, what are some, I guess, additional takeaways that you would give to a person that, you know, is just finding out they have a cancer diagnosis? What are your biggest takeaways? Uh, you know, I would say, and I, and I talk about this a lot in the book, because I really want to be wanted to be able to help people uh, navigate the waters a little mm-hmm. more clearly, but report any side effect you have any horrible side effect to your doc, to your medical team immediately, you know, I was fairly foolish. When I got sick, I had chemo one day, I didn't really mm-hmm. know what was going to happen. But then three days later, my stomach exploded. And I didn't tell my medical team right away. Cause I thought, Oh, well, of course I'm sick. I have cancer. I'm going through chemo. Of course I'm right, sick. Why right. would I bother telling him that? And then I continued to get sicker and sicker. And then I became dehydrated. And then I was, a, I was about to, I was a fall risk. I was, everything went wrong. And I finally tapped out and reached out to the doctor and said, Dr. Gordon, I'm so sorry, but I'm so sick. Is there anything you could do? And he said, Oh my gosh, come, get in right now. We'll give you IV fluids. And so I could have saved myself a lot of trouble problems. Yeah. If I would have just reported it. And so almost all of the mean side effects I had, there was some sort of response for, I just had to let them know I was having the experience. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're a new cancer patient, you know, choose your medical team wisely and then treat them like teammates, you know, report things. They, my doctors gave me their email address and their cell phone numbers. And so mm-hmm. I literally could text Dr. Gordon and say, Hey, this is going on. And he would respond instantly or send in a prescription, et cetera. So, um, utilize those people and then don't be too, uh, fancy to ask for help. And so right. I'm, I'm very uncomfortable receiving help. But the things that were important to me is I needed my kids to have safe rides to and from school and activities. Mm-hmm. We got them. Uh, I didn't even ask for meals, but people brought them and we were grateful for them. Right, because right. I wasn't up for cooking or shopping. And then sometimes people drove me around. So, yeah, I mean, this is the time to just say, OK, and ha- accept a little support and then, you know, if you're uncomfortable receiving help like I was, you can spend the rest of your life paying it forward. And as I do, so, you know, everybody needs a little help sometime and this is certainly the time to accept it. Right. I think that's important too, is to know that you do have people out there that will support you 
you know, even if you feel alone, there's, if you ask, I'm pretty sure there's someone out there who will help um, support you and your needs. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. I mean, I have this huge um, group of people, you know, my, a huge social media following and so mm-hmm. forth, but no matter how much love was being sent to me across the country or locally, I still felt, I felt like the loneliest popular person in the world, you know, cancer is oh, wow. very, very lonely. Cause even mm-hmm. with people driving me places and supporting me, I alone had to endure the cure and it, it is right. a very lonely feeling. So, you know, I hope people just continue to, um, reach out to their friends or ha- at least have one special person to confide in. Cause it's, it's very lonely. And, you know, I talk about all the big fun things I did and the, you know, work I did, but the reality was I was, I was crying in my car almost every day. You know, I mm-hmm. did as much crying as I did. Well, I did more laughing than crying, but I, I did a ton. It's just, it's unbearably stressful. Right. And, um, don't feel like you're alone. Even there's, there's hotlines for strength for you to call and talk to strangers and people can reach out to me if they want. That's awesome. I'm glad that you're such an open book and that you are so giving of yourself. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine, you know, going through something so stressful and something so um, potential, you know, just something that affects your, your body so much yeah. and still be willing to give of yourself to other people. Uh, you know how they say volunteerism is selfish, you know, you're helping others, but it feels so good. That's the benefit of my career. I mean, I, I'm, taking good care of other people, but I just enjoy it so much. And, um, I would have missed out terribly had I sacrificed any of my work events or my special events with my kids, you know, and, and here's the other thing is quite often when someone has a disease like cancer, or if somebody's dying, they say, stay home, don't come. You know, there were times where I probably shouldn't have gone out to watch my kids do X, Y, Z, but when I was out there in those arenas, I was thinking, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. No matter how sick I was, Mm -hmm. I was just grateful to be with them and experience their stuff. So, you know, if you have a sick person in your life and they're telling you, no, I want to come. Allow them to. Let them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially if they're terminal, you know, they may never get another chance to watch their grandchild sing or their nephew do this or without include them in life. Um, I really think it's unfortunate now that they're shoving people in the corner because of COVID where, you know, there's a lot of living to be done and a lot of people have missed out on it this year. So, you know, life is, uh, quality of life is just as important as length. So let's, let's focus on quality of life. You're right. You're right. So are there any parting words that you have that you, you really want people to know or, anything that you just want to leave with the audience that, you know, just kind of resonates with you? Um, I, it re- I, health matters, you know, again, I hate to say it this way, but prepare your body to do battle today. If you're not motivated by the way your genes look or whatever, those van- vain things, gr- that's fine. Work on being strong, work on being vibrant, and then everything in your life improves when you're when you're fit. Your energy, your attitude, your your outcomes, um, health matters, and you do have so much control. Even if you feel like you're terribly out of shape and terribly overweight, there are success stories everywhere from people who have just started putting one foot in front of another 
doing some exercise, choosing apples over Doritos. It's, it's not right, so complicated. Right. It does require discipline, but I certainly would love to be a resource for help. So if you visit fitness.com, again, I have tons of free resources. Not only do am I happy to teach you, but I'm happy to poke you in the chest and kick you in the can and give you <laughs> the encouragement you need to do better and be better. And, um, you know, if you have any newly diagnosed patients or survivors in your realm and you'd love to get them a copy of my book, I, uh, I think they'll benefit from it. I appreciate oh, that. Oh yeah, definitely. I think everybody should get the book, even if they don't have anybody in their immediate circle that's dealt with cancer. It's still a really great read and yeah, like very inspiring story. Like it's, it was your life. Like it's, it was absolutely amazing. Even though you went through some really hard stuff, you conquered it and it was absolutely amazing the way you did so. So if, so besides fitness.com, is there any other way that people can get in contact with you? Yes. I'm at fitness on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So not only follow, but reach out and say, hi, I love it. I love making new friends. So follow along and say, I heard you on your fall show. (laughs) And I'm also on LinkedIn for anyone who needs a corporate speaker. You can find me there. Awesome. 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 I am so glad I got to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Like I said, your story is so inspiring and I'm glad that you know, we were able to talk about it some and just really talk about some of the behaviors that you engaged in to be so resilient, to give back and to do all of the things that you were able to do. So as usual, please like, subscribe and share this podcast. Let me know what you think. Go to Life with behavior analysis uh, life with behavior analysis.com, <laughs> the website, or show, uh, show up on Instagram and Facebook at Life with ABA. Give us some feedback. Let us know if you have any questions for Fitz. Like, go to her website. Make sure that you're reaching out on all of her social media. And we will see you the next time we have another episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share also make sure you check out our website for more content see you next time bye